Good evening. Good to see you guys here. Well, everyone have a great New Year's. We weren't here last week, right? Last week was New Year's, was it? Man, it's just strange. It goes so quick. Um, But we're continuing in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. So if you have a copy of the scriptures before you, open it to John chapter 11. Last chapter, in chapter 10, there was conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, where he basically said he was the shepherd, the good shepherd, and they wanted to kill him. And so there is a lot of tension that is being brought to the forefront on purpose. I mean, we know that Jesus is going to be crucified, and so we know where this is going, but there is tension. You know, you don't just, oh, someone's going to kill me. Okay, oh, no big deal, and tomorrow it's a new day. If someone's out to kill you, usually it stays on your mind. I don't know if that's happened with you guys. I've had some experiences, not necessarily, well, yeah, I had some experiences um, with someone who was kind of crazy who would make threats towards me, and it would just linger in your mind. Like, you know, okay, I know he's not around here, but wonder if he would drive down and try and kill me. You know, I mean, those kinds of things. You don't forget about that. At least I don't think you would. And so they don't either. I mean, imagine the tension of these powerful men trying to kill you. And imagine you're following the one who they're trying to kill. And that's where we pick up this story, because that's part of the scenario that's being played out here. And so chapter 11, verse 1, we're going to read through the whole chapter. Because you have to take this whole chapter together, really. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, a village of Mary and her sister Martha, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, 
that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she she replied. I I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away this stone, he said. But, Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. 
He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. As they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. So the story of Lazarus. There are a lot of powerful things in this story. As we get to see, the emotion of the moment captures Jesus, and we see him proclaim some powerful, powerful things. In verse three, it says, The sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. It's interesting that that's what they said. The one you love, and the word that they use for love is one of a friendship. It's very an endearing term. Your friend is sick. They didn't say any more. They didn't say he's really sick. You need to get here right away. They just said the one you love is sick. Why don't you think they said more? Why don't you think it says that Lazarus is near death, come quickly. What do you think? Do you think maybe they assumed that because he cared, he would come quickly? They just seem to think that the one you care about is sick, so they assumed that he he would come. And I think that's a natural assumption. God, you you care about him, so you'll come and help the situation. And so when he heard this, Jesus says the sickness will not end in death. Now, we just read the chapter, so we know what he's meaning. But imagine those who are with him. Oh, okay. Okay, well, it's not going to end in death. Jesus knows. He's not going to die. But he does. And so it's a little bit troubling, but he goes on, he says, no, it's for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. And then in verse five, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And the word that's used here for loved is a lot stronger than the one that is used in verse three. They believed that he cared enough about them to come quickly, but Jesus actually cared more than they had thought or written, but he didn't come quickly. I think there's something important here that we need to grab hold of, is that we understand and we know that God loves us. And the depth of the word love that you have in your mind, in your heart, the deepest amount of love that you can connect to God and yourself, however strong that is, God loves you more. He loves you more deeply. He loves you stronger, 
more perfectly, more completely. And if we could hold on to that truth, I believe it would carry us through some of the times that we will face and the struggles that we will have to endure. Because even though he loved them more and he knew that he was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And to us, that seems like a contradiction. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. And when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. And doesn't it seem sometimes that God just shows up late? Doesn't it? I mean, come on. I feel like it, right? We don't like to say it. No, we're in church. No, God's right on time. He just seems like, no, he he didn't show up. He didn't do what I wanted him to do. And we have to understand that the way we see things play out isn't always the way that God sees things plays out. And it's so hard to embrace because we want God to fix it. We want God to make things better. God, this would be perfect. In my mind, this is how it plays out. You know, my daughter and I just went up and visited my cousin, and her husband has pancreatic cancer. And, you know, in my mind, Jesus just, if you would heal him, it would be perfect. It would prove who you are. It would give you glory. Everything in my mind makes sense that you would touch and heal him. Everything that I would like for you to do is to heal him, to take this cancer away and show your glory that way. That's what makes sense to me. And then if Jesus doesn't show up, what do you do? Now we're praying that he still would be healed. And we pray that God would miraculously heal him. And if God uses doctors, we are thankful for that. Whatever can be done to bring healing, that's what we desire because we love Jeff. And we care about him. But God loves Jeff more than we understand. And having this understanding that he knows better than we do what is necessary. There has to come a place where we can say, okay, I don't see the big picture. Now, in this story, it's great because it has a happy ending. Same with Job. I almost wish that one of the stories didn't have a happy ending so we could just understand they don't always have a happy ending. But sometimes we just have to realize we see this much of a picture that's this big. And we want to make decisions based on the little that we know when God is doing so much more. And God was thinking not only about Lazarus, but he was thinking about his disciples, Mary, Martha, and all those who were around. And he had something else in mind, so he stayed there two more days and then he said to his disciples, okay, let's, let's go back now. And in verse 8, they said, Rabbi, a short while ago, they tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? So it's still on their mind. Hey, remember? They tried to kill us. We just got out with our lives. They tried to take you. This couple of times this has happened now. We shouldn't 
keep going back there. And then Jesus answered, and this is interesting what he says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. What do you think that means? What do you think he's saying? What does he mean by this little statement? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble. Remember, to them, that's kind of, this is like the obvious thing, right? At nighttime, they didn't have flashlights. There were no street lamps. When it was dark, you didn't go out because you couldn't see where you're walking. You didn't know you'd step in. That's dangerous. So in the daylight, yeah, you can walk because you know what's going on. But at night, then you stay inside because you'll stumble because you have no light. Remember in in chapter 8, I am the light of the world, Jesus is saying. Later on, he would say, you know, whoever walks with me will not walk in darkness. In chapter 12, he's going to say that next week or a few weeks. He who believes in me does not does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And so what Jesus is doing is saying, I am with you. You can trust in me. Whoever walks in the light, while I'm with you, you don't have to worry. I will take care of this. And so Jesus is trying to reassure them that because he is with them, the light is with them, that they can trust what he says. You guys, we can go there. Trust me. When I'm gone, then it will be as if a person was walking in darkness. But right now we can go because I am with you and I am the light of the world. And so Jesus is trying to reassure them that I'm here with you. And so trust me. It's amazing that even in the garden when Jesus was betrayed, he made sure that all of his disciples were okay. Remember, Peter cut off the guy's ear. They could have easily killed him. And Jesus intervenes, heals the guy's ear, say, hey, no harm, no foul. It's okay, the guy's all together now. Put away your sword. Don't you know I could have called legions of angels? And he even instructed them, let them go. It's me you want. And so he purposefully took care of them. And so Jesus is once again comforting them so that they would understand, I'm with you, don't be afraid. Can we hold on to that? that the Lord loves us deeper than we understand and that he knows what's best for us so that we don't have to fear. I think so many times we we fear, maybe not death, that someone's going to come out and kill us. Maybe our fear is that my life is being wasted and, and I'm not going to live or amount to anything and this is all that I am and I'm I'm being you know cheated out of 
life because of where I'm at? And can we trust that God loves us and that he knows what's best and right where we're at, he can work in our lives to bring about the greatest things that could happen to us. That you don't have to be someone else. That you can be right where you are and God will take you right here and move you in the ways that you need to go. If you would know that he loves you and know that he has a good plan for you. And that while you're with him, you'll walk in the light. That you don't have to be afraid of having a meaningless life. Or will we try and find meaning in ways that are destructive for ourselves instead of in the ways that God will reveal and illuminate as we walk with him and stay with him. And so he's telling him, don't worry, we're going to go, you're going to be okay. And after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. So the disciples, again, not wanting to go, say, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. We don't need to go. Let him, let him sleep it off. He took a couple of NyQuil. He'll be fine in the morning when he gets up. It'll be fine. Jesus meant something else. He says, no, he's dead. And so now imagine the disciples. Here they are. We don't want to go back. Jesus gives them this kind of you know cryptic, well, the light is here for 12 days, and when there's light, you can walk. Don't walk at night. Okay. And who knows if they understood that or not. But then he says, well, he's sleeping. Okay, let him sleep. And then he says, he's dead. It's like, okay, now what? Because that's game over, right? And so he's told him plainly, he's dead. And then he says, and I am glad for your sake that I was not there, that you might believe, but let us go to him. What does that mean? You're glad for our sake that you weren't there, let's go to him. And so you can see that they don't finally understand this because Thomas says to the rest, let us also go that we may die with him. Like, well, he's dead. I guess we're going to go and die too because they're going to kill us. These are his disciples. These are the guys who are following him. These are the hand-picked men who are there to carry this message on. Real encouraging group, right? Okay, well, let's us go and die also then. Why not? Yeah, and so here they go. They're just like, well, we're going to follow Jesus because he wants to go there, and I guess we're going to die. And so you see their mentality. It's there. And, and then as they get close to this, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And so he'd been dead for a while, even when Jesus was staying. And Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many of the Jews came, Martha and Mary. And when verse 20, Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Interesting that Mary stayed home. You know, every time we see Mary in scripture, she's at the feet of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? That she's always sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha... She's not going to wait around. She gets up. She heads over there. And I love this because the dynamics and their personality is so different. And so Martha just confronts Jesus, said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
but I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And, and so she's, she's confronted with her brother's death, but she still believes something in Jesus can fix this, which is incredible. It really is. That she would say this shows her trust and faith in Jesus. And then Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And in her mind, that's in the future tense. And it's interesting because it gives us insight into the fact that some Jews did believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. The Pharisees and some other Jews did believe. And so she believes that someday, yeah, he'll rise again on that last day. But Jesus speaks further in a very famous verse as he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now it's interesting her response because her response is, yes, Lord, but then she goes on and says, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. That wasn't what I asked. But that was as much as she could believe. It's like, you're it. I'm not sure what else you said, but this is as much as I can give you because this is the highest my mind can go. And so Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection, I am life. Do you believe this? And she says, well, I believe you're the Messiah. And he's so much more. And then he, he challenges her with two things. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives in by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Doesn't that seem like two questions there? Doesn't it seem like, well, which one? Do I believe that if I believe in you, I'll live even though I die? Or do I believe in you and I won't die? Which one is it? And so we know right away that he's talking about a different kind of death, right? Because everyone still died physically. Lazarus still died after he came back to life. All the disciples died physically. So he's talking about a different kind of death. He's talking about something more than just the physical death. And he's also talking about more than just the existence that many people call life. And so here we have to hone in on what Jesus is trying to convey because he's, he's talking about a different life and he's talking about a different death. And when he challenges them, I'm the resurrection and the life, Whoever believes in me will live. Well, what about the person who's already alive? Do they live more? And you see, he's trying to give us an understanding of a, a different life, a different type of life, that if you will believe, and so we have to ask about this word believe that keeps showing up through this gospel, believe, whoever believes in him, if you will believe, that I am, you will not die in your sins. Believe, this idea of belief is so important because it has to do with putting your trust in the things that he said. And as I was thinking about this and how belief affects us, how when we make a decision and we 
put our focus or our thoughts to do something, how it changes our life's direction. You know, if I put my thoughts, well, I'm going to, you know, start uh, eating healthy, you know, and I have this, this is what I'm going to do. I put my mind that I'm going to do this, and then I start making the decisions to not eat the peanut brittle that's over there, you know, or the cupcakes or the cookies. We have nothing good here but for you, you know. And so as I make that decision, it starts affecting my life. And the same thing is true that when we believe, believe isn't just something that takes place in our mind. It's something that takes place in our life. It has to do with how we move forward with that understanding. And so believing in Jesus means taking the things that he said about who he is and about our needing him and they becoming a reality. I believe that Jesus died for me. I I believe that I need forgiveness for my sin. I, I believe that Jesus took the penalty of my sin on the cross. And so all these things of belief are things that I live in the reality of. And so it's not just, well, yeah, the Bible says that, I believe it, and then I go on living however I want. It has to do with this is where I lean, this is how I live. And so whoever believes in him, which means believes that he is the Messiah, that he is God in flesh, that his life is our example, that his death is our sacrifice and our forgiveness through him, the atoning sacrifice for us, that his resurrection is proof of God's acceptance of that. If we believe in these things, then it changes how we live and how we see ourselves, and our future. If you see yourself as a person who can't win, who can't become or overcome the situation that you're in, you know what? The odds are you won't. Because you will never set yourself up if you think you're going to fall. Well, I can't get past this. I'll fail. And so you won't even try. But if you think, you know what, I I think that we can overcome this situation, then you will put the effort, the time, the energy in. Why? Because you think that you can't. The Wright brothers thought that they could fly. So they built the plane and they tested models or whatever they did before they went and they flew. But the guy says, oh, you can't fly. You'll never fly. Never even tried. Never built a model. Never looked into it. Never further thought about those things person who believes, you know, Thomas Edison, that we can harness electricity and illuminate a filament inside of a vacuum and make a a light bulb. Well, he had to think that he could do that, and I don't think he did it on the first time. He probably failed quite a few times on that light bulb. But eventually he got it. The guy says, oh, you can't do that. You can't harness electricity. That's foolish. Never even tried. If you believe that God will give you new life and that you can be a person who actually reflects the image of God who's 
image you were created in, then it will affect how you live. Well, I can live a life that is victorious from the sin and victorious from the bondages that this world has all around us. I I can escape those things. I can live above those things. I can hear the voice of God because I believe that God talks and speaks to me and I believe that God can lead me. Well, then you will listen. Then you will be curious. Then you will want to know because you believe it's true. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Whatever the story, if Jesus is in it, it's about life. The whole gospel is about God's life. The gospel isn't about the death of Jesus. You ever notice that the death of Christ is actually a very small portion? All this about how he lives, then there's his death, and then it moves on. What we need to do is bring our mortality to Jesus to see the life, that he is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him, even if they die, they will live. And everyone who lives and believes in him will never die. I doubt that Martha fully understood that. I don't know if we fully understand it. And so all she could do is say, yeah, you're the Messiah, That's all I got. And what I love is Jesus took that. Okay, we'll work from there. He didn't say, no, no. Now, recite back to me. What did I mean? In the Greek. Oh, wait, I'm talking to you in the Greek. You know, he just took her where she was at. and Okay, we'll go from here. And then she says, yes. After that, he had said this. She went back and called her sister Mary aside. And I love this. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. I don't know if we fully understand how personal God is with us. You see, Mary couldn't go and wouldn't go to him, but Jesus needed her to understand, and so he sent for her. He probably knew, oh, Mary won't come, but I want her to be here. And so the teacher is asking for you. And once she heard that, she's all in. She got up quickly, and everyone thought she was just going to go to the tomb and mourn, but she ran past the tomb, and she ran to Jesus. And then she, again, is there at his feet, following him, falling at his feet. And she says the same thing, Martha, Lord, if you had been here my brother would not have died. What's interesting is Jesus never spoke to Mary, but he did speak to Martha. He asked for Mary, but he never spoke to her. Martha needed to know. Mary just needed to be at his feet. She didn't need an answer. She just knew she had to be with him. And maybe being at his feet was what she needed. And it's where she met Jesus. Whereas Martha needed a little bit more explanation. And I think God works that way with us. Some of us need some explanation. And God gives us some things to help us. 
And some of us just need to know your presence. I just need to know you're here. That's why some people, like in music, some people just get swept up in the emotion of the music. And some people come late because the music is, you know, filler. Like, no offense. I don't think that. (laughs) But some people, that emotion, it doesn't grip them. Some people, that's where they experience God. And that time of singing. And Jesus speaks to Martha, he calls for Mary, but he doesn't speak to her. She falls on her feet and just said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Again, this is an amazing passage to see that he is moved and that he is troubled. In classical Greek, the usual usage of this word that's used for troubled is that of a horse snorting. When a horse does that kind of powerful huffing that a horse can make. And Here it must mean that there was such a deep emotion that gripped Jesus that it was almost an involuntary groan that was just wrung out of his heart. Also, in Greek literature, the gods didn't cry because that showed weakness. They didn't care that much. But here we see a different picture where this idea of weeping that's used here, it's no gentle shedding of tears. It would be almost historical, hysterical wailing that they're talking about. Because in the Jewish point of view, the more you were unrestrained in the weeping, the more honor you paid to those that were dead. We even saw that in some of the healings in the other Gospels where they were just wailing and Jesus kicked them all out because sometimes it was just phony. Now, we know it wasn't phony with Mary, but he was so moved and troubled that it just overwhelmed him. And this groaning would come out of him. That's what that idea of troubled was. So he was moved to the point where it physically affected his actions. Have you ever been to a place or seen someone who is in a place where the grief was so severe that the weeping, the wailing, the mourning, the groans are uncontrolled? Where you see that person and they are beside themselves with the emotion of the event. You know, there are a few times that I've seen that. One that stands out in my mind is when my mom and I told my grandfather that his son, my uncle, had died of a heart attack. I was living behind them at the time, and my mom had told me, called on the phone, and met me 
and we went inside, and my grandfather was sitting there at the table reading the paper like he always did. And then we went and told him, you know, my mom said, Frankie went to be with the Lord. And I'll never forget what happened when the reality had gripped his mind. He stood up, he sat down, he pounded the table. He just said, no, no, no. He could not embrace the reality of what had happened. And it just overwhelmed him emotionally. And it was overwhelming to watch. And so Jesus sees this overwhelming weeping and it moves him as well. Our God is moved. Our God is moved with what hurts us, with what moves us. He is troubled by the things that arrest our attention. And as they say, Lord, he says, where have you laid them? They say, come and see. And it says that Jesus wept. And again, this is something that you would not have seen in the Greek mind to the gods. And as John is writing this to the Jews and the Greeks, this is standing out. They would not believe that this is something. This would have been astounding. And it should be. And why did he weep? He didn't weep because Lazarus was gone, because Lazarus was going to be back. Right? So it's not just, oh no, he's dead. Why is he weeping? Weeping for her grief. I wonder if he's weeping because our despair is so blind to what God has to offer us, that we live as if this death is the end and that we are so ignorant to the life that God gives that we are so void of understanding the reality of what God has to offer. And as he sees people weeping as if there is no hope, it just overwhelmed him. Because, no, there is. And so he hurts because we hurt, but he also hurts because we don't see. Because we fail to live the life that we could live. I think about when my kids go through something and you see the the difficulties that they bring on themselves and, and you weep for them, but it's not just because they're going through something difficult. It's because you don't have to live like this. You can live a different life. If you would just see differently, there is so much potential, but you're blind. And I wonder how it grieves the heart of God when we live blind to what he has to offer and we are so easily pleased by such minimal things and the things that are of such value have no value to us. And we live these lives that are caged with doubt and with fear and with ignorance. And God has so much that he can do if we would just see. And I think he just grieves because we live in this blindness. And still some doubt. Couldn't he have opened the eyes 
He who opened the eyes of the blind kept this man from dying. And so once more in verse 38, Jesus is just deeply moved. And that's why I believe it's connected to this unbelief is because we say, couldn't he have done this? And he's like, oh gosh, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that this death is nothing for me, but this is all that you can see. This is the ceiling of your life is this tomb and this grave. And you can't see that your life is connected to so much more. And he is just moved. And he tells them to take the stone away. And now Martha, who says, I believe you're the Messiah. I believe in you. What are you doing? What do you mean move the stone away? He's been dead for four days. There's, he stinks. There is the odor of death. There's decay. What, what do you mean, move the stone away? Then Jesus said, did I not tell you, verse 40, that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they rolled the stone away, and Jesus prays, not because he needed to, but because they needed to hear it. I love this prayer. I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on benefit of the people standing here. So God, I'm talking to you. I don't really need to talk to you because me and you know what's going on, but I'm talking to you for their sake because they don't really know what's going on. I just love this. He's, you know, that they might believe that you sent me. And so God, do what we're going to do. I'm letting them know that you're going to do that through me so that they can believe that I come from you. Here we go. And so as he prays that, he calls in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in the linen. And he says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit and seen what Jesus did believed in him. I bet they did. I bet they did. You see, because now all their beliefs, the things that could not be changed like dying, the things that were solid in their mind, that were set, have just been blown away. And now their mind is thinking in a way that it's never had to before. When you die, that was it. Oh, there's a resurrection or something, but now... There is something else happening here. This man just spoke and brought life back to the dead. That doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen. Who is this? And when it says they believed in him, now we're getting to. They believed what? They believed this guy has the gift of life. This is the Son of God. He is the light of the world. This is the Messiah. Whoever lives and believes in him will never die. And whoever lives and believes in him, or whoever lives and believes in him, though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in him will never die. He's talking about something different. He has the power of life itself, not the power of death. The power of life. Wa-bam. Shake your world. And he did. Some of them went back to the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and imagine the news. 
This guy just brought someone from the dead. Well, we know he just healed the blind. We know he's done this. He just brought someone back to the dead. They say, what are we accomplishing? And it's interesting because they said, if we let him go on, everyone will believe in him. Well, that was the first thing that came out of their mouth. But then they had a kind of, and the Romans, don't forget the Romans, they'll come in and they'll take everything away. Forget the fact that this guy just healed someone and rose them from the dead. That trumps Rome in my book. But they were so concerned about what establishment they had that they had to kill him. And so Caiaphas says, don't, you don't know anything it's important that one man die for the people, that the whole nation, then the whole nation perish. And then John says, this was actually prophetic. And, and the prophecy, as he interprets it in verse 52, not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, that's again reaching to the Gentiles, to bring them together, to make them one. And so here is this understanding that Jesus is going to die they didn't realize it, but it was necessary, not only for the Jewish nation, but for the world. And therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly. He kept aside because, again, they're trying to kill him, and we're coming to that place where the Passover is going to come, we're going to come to the end. But in light of this, the crucifixion takes on a whole different meaning. This man has power over death. This one has life. Whoever lives and believes in him, though they die, yet will they live. That means something now. And he's going to prove that to mean something. And so everyone's looking for Jesus. What's going to happen? And so are the Pharisees. They're looking for him so that they can arrest him and stop this nonsense. It's raising people from the dead. Just stop it now. Any questions on this chapter or any thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, and even then, they needed to be proven. Even then, Thomas said, yeah, unless I see it, I don't believe it. And then at the cross, too, you know, this man saved others, save himself, same thing that they said here. It's amazing the condition of people's heart. You know, when you don't believe, evidence doesn't change it. It's amazing how our belief will override things that seem obvious, how strong belief is, that people will not even believe that they see. And it works in both directions. When you have an idea of something, you know, if you believe in uh, aliens from another universe and UFOs, if you see lights, you'll assume that that's what it is. Why? Because you, you see it and it connects to what you already believe. Instead of other options, that becomes your option, you know. And so, so a lot of times, even in science, well, this is what we're, I mean, think of the, the things that have been discovered, like penicillin. It was an accident. They weren't thinking, well, let this mold grow and it'll be good for you. You know, they weren't going for that. All of a sudden, they found it because someone, you know, left the bread out too long or whatever. It, it's... They find things almost because they weren't looking and because they, they weren't blinded by what they were focused on, they were actually able to see things that were taking place. Most of the problems that are developed in, in scientific community is people already have a prejudice about something so they can't see what's actually happening. It happens in all kinds of 
facets of life. We do it in religion. We do it in, I mean, that's what prejudice does. Well, that's how these people act. Who are these people? You know, and you're just assuming and blanketing a statement. Well, they're like this. Who are they? they that you blanket like this? Well, that's what happens when you do this. Well, you've already kind of framed things in your mind so you don't see what's really happening. That's definitely what was happening here. Any other thoughts or just things that stood out to them in this chapter? Nada. All right. Well, let's pray and eat all the sugar. <laughs> Lord, what an amazing series of events. And Lord, it almost seems like raising someone from the dead was a side note to all that was taking place at this time and in this chapter. That more than you raising a man who was dead back to life is how much you cared, how you were moved and how you were troubled with our lack of belief, with our despairing of life, how we are so limited in how we live. Lord, I thank you are troubled still because we live so far under what you have for us. And so, Lord, may we take off the blinders. May we, even as we read this reenactment of what you've done, be reminded that you are not bound and that our lives should not have fear of what people can do, that we should not live in fear of death or disease or persecution or hardship, that we should not be bound by these things that we put so much attention on, and that we should live these lives of loving abandon to you and the things that you desire to do through us, that we would be willing to live whimsical lives for your sake. And I thank you again for your revelation and showing us these things. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.